All right, question for you guys. Be honest. Who noticed that the scripture this week was the same as last week? Raise your hand. Good, good. Well, uh, that wasn't a mistake. We're actually sitting right at the front of Romans 6 still. Um, And so I am kind of, uh, this was a sermon for me that there's just so many directions that I could could have gone. And uh, so I'm just going to get right into it because I feel like I have too much to say almost. But um, we are in the the beginning of Romans 6. We're doing a study as a church on the book of Romans. Um, And if you look at the the scripture from today, Romans 6, verses 1 through really 14, we only had you guys read through 1 through 10, uh, but if you look at the first four paragraphs of the book of Romans, um, or of chapter 6 of the book of Romans, Paul is reiterating a simple message, uh, and that message is about our identity. Um, It's that we have died to sin, and we have been made alive to Christ. And it's extremely repetitive. Um, You know, and and each paragraph pretty much in a different way says that, that we have died to sins, we are no longer a slave to sin, but we have have risen with Christ and we have a new identity with Him. Um, And Paul, the author, wants to make sure we grasp our new identity as followers of Jesus. Our, Our identity is rooted in Christ Himself, and we are, as Scripture says, co heirs with Christ. Um,. And identity is not really something that we like to talk about today, is it? I mean, uh, we would rather talk about what we do than who, you, who we are. So I like to do this, if, you know, pretending that I, that I just met you for the first time. Hey, how's it going? I'm Drew. Okay. Hey, uh, what do you do? Nothing. Okay. He's our sound guy. That's usually how it goes, right? Hi, how's it going? I'm Drew. Drake? Jay. Jay, nice. What do you do, man? There you go. So that's usually how the conversation goes. It's not usually like, hi, I'm Drew. Hi, I'm Sharon. Hi, who are you? Um, I know the right answer. Yeah, okay. So whether you know the right answer or not, it's a question that is like, whoa, that seems like kind of personal. Is somebody really asking me that? One. And two, like, do I even really, I might know the right words to say, but do I even know what it really means, like who I am? Um... And how do you answer that, that question? And so the, we like to characterize our identity more by what we do. Like, I'm a pastor. Uh, so-and-so is a plumber. I'm an electrician. I'm a mechanic. I'm a teacher. Um, but, you know, or even kids. Take, take, like, middle schoolers, for example. Like, I'm a skateboarder or I'm a jock or whatever. It's all about what we do, right? Um, so we don't really like to talk about who we are. We'd rather talk about what we do. Um, and so it's, at, it's actually out of our identity. Our identity is so important because it's out of our identity that we live. Our being precedes our doing. Um, in non-grammatical terms, we do who we are. After all, we are human beings, not human doings, right? But the world says that what we do defines us, and, and that can be confusing for us as Christians because the gospel says that it's not what you have done or what you will do, it's what God has done and who he says you are in Christ that defines you. And so we're constantly battling like the 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 mentality of all right, is what I do, is that is that who I am or is it what God says? Um, 
And this is really important, like because I said our being precedes our doing. Um, if we look at verses five through seven in this in this passage, um, it says if we have been united with him like this in his death, we will certainly also be united with him in his resurrection. For we know that our old self was crucified with him, so that the body of sin might be done away with. That we should no longer be slaves to sin, because anyone who has died has been freed from sin. So it says that in our old identity, we were slaves to sin. What does that mean? That's kind of what Marcus took this passage and went with last week. What it means is that um, when we idolize something, whether it's a person or a good thing, a person or a, a hobby or a work or anything that is good, and we turn it into a God thing. We take a good thing, we make it a God thing. It becomes the ultimate thing, but it doesn't satisfy us like only God can because he made us so that we would turn to him for complete joy and satisfaction. And when, we, when it doesn't satisfy us, we have to distort it and pervert it and try and keep consuming it, but it, it'll, never, it'll leave us empty. Um, and so we become a slave to it because we have to continue to return to it we're looking for what only God can give us. Um, and, and a part of that process is that we, we give it our affection. And think about this. The, the, whatever has your greatest affection has the greatest power over your emotions and your actions. So that's what Marcus was talking about. He was talking about how if we worship our spouse or we worship our kids, um, we will, if we lose one of them, God forbid, it'll crush us. And if we don't lose one of them, it'll crush them because they can't give us the satisfaction that only God can give. So that's the whole idea of being a slave to sin. Um, and we, you know, for those of us who know Christ and call ourselves Christians, we still fall into this because we are in, in an already not yet reality of the kingdom of God where Christ has, has done his work on the cross, which has saved us, but he has not completely carried out his plan for redemption for the whole world, and we're waiting on his return for that. So we are in between, uh, and we are, still have a, a will to choose. Um, and if we look at verses 3 to 4, uh, it says, Or don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ, Jesus, were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead, through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. So this, these verses cite baptism. Um, and bapti baptism is a visual representation of our identification with Christ. It represents the death of our old self uh, with sin, and the, the death of sin, and the birth of our new self with Christ. Um, and it represents his death on the cross and his resurrection. Um, and so, you know, as we're talking about identity, this is clearly, baptism is clearly important to it. If we look at the Great Commission, when Jesus tells us to baptize in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, um, there's something there. Um, and so, I believe that the core of our identity is directly related to the persons of God, because we are made in His image, uh, and what He says about who we are has a direct impact on how we should live. And so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to talk about the three persons of, of God and how, because we're made in His image, 
it, it is a reflection of our identity in Him. Uh, first of all, the Father. If we are baptized in the name of the Father, first of all, that makes us what? His children, right? Uh, and and not, not estranged children, but dearly loved children. Um, God's love for us is the foundation on which we live. Um, my little girl is nine months old. Uh, sadly, she's not here today because mom was not feeling well. Uh, but tell you what, for those of you who have been parents, and those of you who aren't parents, you're probably like, oh, here goes another how much I love my kids speech. Here we go. No, for those of you who are parents, you know that the first time you see your child, it's, it's an emotion that you just can't explain. And in that moment, for me, I just came to a deeper understanding of God's love for his children. You know, immediately, you know, that day, my, my mind kept going to the verse that, um, that said, See what great love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called children of God. Um, and that just took on a whole deeper meaning for me um, as a parent that I would, in that first day and weeks, I would just look at my little girl and really be brought to tears just over God's love for, for me and for all his children. Um, and also uh, John 1.12 says, Yet to all who receive him, he gave the right to become children of God. Um, if Evie, my, my daughter, was going to be here today, I had this awesome plan, but it didn't work out. It's okay. I was going to have her come out. She, she's at the point in her life where she's beginning to return affection for you know Trish and I and people that she loves. And so usually when I come home, first of all, she's starting to say dada. It's sad that uh, Trish you know, carried her for nine months and she comes out saying my name and looking like me. So Trish. But I was going to have her come out here because usually when she hasn't seen me in a little bit, if, if somebody's holding her and she makes eye contact with me, she'll start like waving her arms and her legs and like doing the whole baby thing. And it's, it's just, as a father, what more do you want from your kids? You just want their affection. And the same thing is true with God. All he wants is our affection, our worship. And when our greatest affection belongs to God, it's from that starting point that he begins to affect change in our lives. Because like I was saying, uh, if our greatest affection is towards our, our work, then we're going to, if we lose our job, it's going to destroy us mentally and emotionally. Or we're going to bend over backwards to make sure that we meet all the right deadlines to do whatever um, that job requires because it holds our affections. The same is true with God. If he holds our greatest affection, he knows that uh, we would go to great lengths for him as he has already done for us because of his love. All right. Um, so all that to say that Christianity, a lot of times we, I think that we can sometimes portray it as a formula. Like, all right, confess your sin, say a prayer, you are saved, take a stamp, and uh, you're good. You got your ticket into heaven. It's not that way. It's a love story of God's never-ending pursuit of his children's affection. It's a husband's passionate love for his unfaithful wife. Yes, you and I are the unfaithful wife. But he still loves us. So, being baptized in the name of the Father, we know that we are children of God. But also, we, 
if we are all children together, that means we are a family as well. Uh, being children who are loved by a perfect, loving father, we are called to in turn love each other as family. Now, the, the early church in Acts 2 is one of the greatest pictures of the church loving one another as family. Acts 2 verse 42 says, They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe, and many wonders and miraculous signs were done by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common, selling their possessions and goods they gave to anyone as he had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. So this is portraying a picture of a family that they're breaking bread together in their homes. They're sharing with one another. Anyone who has need, they're going out of their way to make sure that everyone is taken care of. I would encourage you to use this as a challenge. Are you, are you inviting others into your home? Are you breaking bread with one another? Are you willingly offering your possessions, which really aren't yours to begin with, to others who are in need? Um, it was encouraging to see several of you on Facebook this week after the power outage write a post like, hey, if anybody is in need of a hot shower or a hot meal, uh, my house is open to you. Uh, that was encouraging. I hope that it doesn't just take effect when uh, a disaster comes, but in every day. Um, and so, you know, something about this, this verse in Acts 2, it says, And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. One, it doesn't just mean our love is for one another. How can God add to this uh, fellowship of believers if they're just together? They were loving those around them as well. And we were brought into God's family. Is anyone here of Jewish descent? Okay. So we have a couple who were technically born into uh, some Israel descent. But for most of us, we were grafted in, as Scripture says, um, into God's family. And so whatever he has done through you, or to you, he wants to do through you. He wants you to extend that, that grace, that love to others. So we are baptized in the name of the Father. We are children of God and we are a family. We're baptized in the name of the Son. All right, the Son being Jesus. Jesus was the promised Savior of Israel. And at that time, Israel... Uh, was expecting not somebody to come the way Jesus did, humble and born in a manger, but they were expecting a, a conqueror, a king, right? Well, he was a king, but he didn't come like they were expecting. He came as a servant. Um, Philippians 2 portrays a great picture of this. Um, starting in verse 3, it says, Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility, consider others better than yourselves. Each of you should look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. 
Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. So Jesus, who had every right to, to claim power and authority, uh, instead he comes to serve. So what does that make us? As followers of Jesus, we are also to be servants. We are servants of a king. We're no longer slaves to sin. Um, whether you serve Jesus or not, you are serving something today, something or someone, um, whether it be a job or um, a relationship or a, a dream, whatever it is, um, we all serve something. As believers in our identity, we are servants of Jesus. So back to Romans 6. If you look at verses 11 through 14, if I can find it myself. It says, In the same way, count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its evil desires. Do not offer the parts of your body to sin as instruments of wickedness, but rather offer yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life, and offer the parts of your body to Him as instruments of righteousness. For sin shall not be your master, because you are not under law, but under grace. We are no longer mastered by sin, but we are under God's grace through Christ. Now scripture says that we were created in God's image. And so I want you to think about this. If we were created in God's image, the life we live has the opportunity, and I believe is intended to tell the story of who God is and what he's like. When we serve others, we are bearing the image of Christ, the greatest servant of all. And Christ's love speaks through us. And I have turn over to 2 Corinthians 5. Uh, it says, For Christ's love compels us, because we are conv convinced that one died for all, and therefore all died. So Christ's love compelled us. I'm going to jump down to verse 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has gone, the new has come. Again, back to our new identity. Um, all this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting men's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us, we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. As that just said, we are Christ's ambassadors. We are his servants in the world. Um, we are, as I'm going to move on to, his missionaries in the world. So, we're baptized in the name of the Father. We are His children. We are a family. Baptized in the name of the Son. We are servants. Baptized in the name of the Holy Spirit. That makes us missionaries. And you might be like, all right, I see the connection of the first two, but what does the Holy Spirit and being a missionary have to do with one another? I don't see the connection. 
Well, as I said before, whatever God has done to you, he wants to do through you. And what he gives us is not just for ourselves. His intention has always been that we are blessed to be a blessing, that we are a light to the nations. The gift of his spirit, the same thing is true. When we look at the Holy Spirit mentioned in Scripture, it's nearly always having to do with sharing the gospel with others. Uh, in Acts 1.8, Jesus says, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. So the power comes from the Holy Spirit. What are you supposed to do with it? Go be a witness uh, to the uttermost parts of the earth. And also, when the Holy Spirit uh, comes at Pentecost in, in the book of Acts, what do the disciples begin doing? They begin sharing the gospel uh, in different tongues, in different languages. Um, and even in, even in Jesus' ministry, he talks about when the Holy Spirit will come. He's speaking to his disciples about persecution, and he says, this is in Matthew 10, 19, he says, Beware of men, for they will deliver you over to courts and flog you in the synagogues. And you will be dragged before governors and kings for my sake to bear witness before them and the Gentiles. When they deliver you over, do not be anxious how you are to speak or what you are to say, for what you are to say will be given to you in that hour. For it is not you who speak, but the Spirit of your Father speaking through you. So, I used to think that, you know, the Holy Spirit's primary role was to just convict me of my sin. Although it is that, that's not all it is. Um, if we possess Christ's spirit in us, we are his ambassadors. Um, and, you know, maybe, maybe you feel like the Holy Spirit is not working through you or active in your, active in your life or you've asked him to come and, and provide uh, a fire in your heart to, for sharing uh, his word. Some tough questions that we all have to ask ourselves uh, when we think about that is, one, am I living in a way that I even need the Holy Spirit to come through and show up for me? Or am I living in a way that I have everything figured out? I have my finances figured out. I have my uh, schedule figured out. I have it all figured out. Um, maybe that's why um, the Spirit is not showing himself because we're not living in reliance on him. And then two... The second question to ask is, have I submitted to what the Spirit has already asked me to do? Or am I trying to push that aside and get to another level uh, without already obeying what the Spirit is, is asking me to do? And those are hard questions, really hard questions that we all have to ask ourselves. Um, and so, you know, again, baptized in the name of the Holy Spirit, we are missionaries for Christ sent out into the world with the power of the Holy Spirit. This is the same Spirit which Jesus did his miracles by, the same Spirit that he conquered the grave by, and we have that Spirit with us. Um, you know, back, in, back to the wondering, how does the Holy Spirit make me a missionary? Um, if we look at the Gospel, if you believe the Gospel and you think that it ends with you, of you receiving Christ, that's an incomplete gospel. I actually have the theological reason why dogs are better, better than cats. You ready for this? If you were on our board retreat, you know what I'm about to say. But 
Yeah, dogs really are better than cats, and God thinks so too. Here's why. Um, so a dog, you know, it says to itself, man, my masters, they feed me, they walk me, they pet me, they love me. They must be God. And a cat says, wow, my masters, they, pee, they feed me, they pet me, they care for me. I must be God. So that's why God likes dogs better than cats. Because he calls us to, to have the same mentality. Yes, God loves you. Yes, God has served you. But it's not all about you. He's about his glory first and foremost. God's intention for his people, as I said, has never been that they are saved and blessed for their own pleasure. It's always been about his purposes and his glory. He loves people and he wants to reconcile the world to himself and he will. Because of his spirit, if you know Christ, if you have his spirit in you, you are a missionary to the world around you. In conclusion, uh, Romans 6 is telling us again that we have a new identity in Christ. And it's out of that identity that we are called to live as children of God who are dearly loved and love one another as a family, as servants of a king who served us in a greater way than we could ever return, and as missionaries sent into the world. Remember, remember, remember that your being precedes your doing. And when you forget, we will forget, I forget almost you know, every day, uh, when you fall short, Return to the gospel. Believe again in your need for Jesus, even now. Whether it's your first time turning to him, or your 10,000th. It's by grace that we are saved through faith. It's not by works. It's not from ourselves. We can't boast in it. Believe what Jesus says is true, not just for the, the one who asked for forgiveness for the first time, but for each one of us every time. One of my favorite verses is becoming 1 Corinthians 15.1 because it is reminding me that the gospel is not done changing me. It's not something that I just accepted and, and received and it's a plaque that sits on my wall. It's the gospel of Jesus that continues to sanctify us. 1 Corinthians 15.1 says, Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. So even if you've known Christ for 50 years, if you're looking to grow up into maturity in him with something other than Christ himself, you're, you're looking in the wrong place. It's Christ alone who builds us up by the power of his spirit. And it starts with faith. We need to continually believe in Jesus, who he is, what he has done, and what he promises to those who confess their need for him and submit to him as Lord. And he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. I hear that verse too and I think like, oh, that, that's like a salvation verse. I give that to somebody who hasn't yet accepted Christ. But how, how much do I need to hear that? That if we confess with that 
that he is faithful and just. If we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us from our unrighteousness. The life that Jesus has for you is better than anything you can make yourself. But you have to be willing to submit your life to him, your past, your present, your future, your dreams. You know, submitting to the Holy Spirit, if you do it right, he's going to ask you to do more than just come to church and be more faithful in your quiet time. Get ready, because it's going to be real. But the reward of knowing God, our maker, the one who has given everything for us, is far greater than, than anything that we could make for ourselves in this life and in eternity. So let's pray. Jesus, you are our hope. You are our peace. You are our salvation, God. We are in constant need of you. Father, by your Spirit, stir our hearts with affection for you. May we believe our identity in you as your children, as your servants, and as your missionaries. And may we live that out because of your love for us. Father, I, I thank you for this opportunity uh, to just gather together here without any persecution, Lord. Um, we are privileged to be in a, in a place where we can openly worship you. We thank you for the price you paid on the cross. Living the perfect life for us, taking our place on the cross that we could take your righteousness and identify with you, Christ Jesus. That is such good news. We pray it in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you guys uh, for coming out today. Uh, we